we have been talking the last few weeks about some uh, big themes of Christmas and celebrating Advent. I realize that these candles, as they begin to shrink down week by week, you can't always see the ones that are, on, are lit anymore. And they look like they're out. So we're going to have to maybe carve those down for Christmas Eve next week. Or so. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But anyhow, as we're celebrating the Advent and lighting the candles and reading Scripture each week, we've talked about the themes of hope and joy and peace. And today we're talking about love. And in some ways, love as a theme, love is similar to what we talked about with peace last week. So last week we said that peace is something that the world can't give us. We can look to the world to get peace, but, we, but the world can't provide peace. We can look to others in the world to bring us peace, but we can't make anyone uh, you know, do anything. So all we can do is, um, is find our peace from a more durable and lasting place. And, and Christ said, I've come to give you peace. We find our peace in the Lord. And that peace is supposed to be unspillable, unshakable, and then we are to be the ones who bring peace into the world. That God's peace um, comes through us, and we're not peace takers from those around us, we're peacemakers, that we work for peace because we have peace from the Lord. And in a similar way, love strikes a similar chord today. Love is something that, as, as followers of Christ, love is something that we are, are expected to bring to others instead of looking to others to bring it to us. Now, as I say that, I know that this could be a tricky truth for some, because with peace, it's one idea. Like last week with peace, we understand whether we're experiencing peace or not, we in our heads know that that's true. But with love, it's a little harder, because we're thinking, well, Arlen, how can I be expected to give love to others in the world if I'm not receiving it back from them? Because I need to have it for, Arlen, if, if I'm giving out love and I'm not getting it back, I'm going to be on empty. It's like a bank account. You keep giving out, giving out. If nothing else is coming in, it's going to be overspent. Or if I got a container of fluid, I'm pouring it out. If nothing's filling it back up, it's going to be empty. How can I give love if I'm not receiving love back from others? It just doesn't seem like it's a, a, a doable pattern. In fact, some of the struggles we have as people is looking at others who don't love us back the way that we feel they should or the way that we feel that we love. And, and it can leave us jaded and feeling empty. And if you feel that way, if you feel that others have let you down, you could be very disgruntled um, towards this idea that I can love when I don't think I've been loved very well back. How can I give love without being refilled by it myself? And the answer is we can't. But we don't have to. And Jesus talks about this today. We're going to see he addresses this very thing of how we function as people called to love, even though sometimes we don't look around and see it always reciprocated when we want to. But before Jesus explains this, we're going to kind of back up and see Jesus explain something else first. Because he talked about something in his day that he had to undo some bad thinking to lay the right foundation. Sometimes the hardest thing about teaching something is not just teaching something new, but undoing the bad old thinking. It's like going to a job somewhere where they, where they almost prefer you not to be trained in what they do so that they can train you from scratch rather than having to undo bad training you've already had and undo all that to get you trained the right way. 
sometimes the hardest thing is to get us untaught the wrong stuff, right? And, and, or in relationships, many people have relational bad habits that we maybe have grown up around and nurtured with bad, relational bad habits. And, and to try to teach us how to react relationally without unpacking the bad stuff is just hard to pile on the good stuff because some things need to be dismantled first to make us healthy, Right? And so today, we understand that as we talk about love and as Jesus explains what love should look like in our lives, he had to unpack some bad thinking. And it was, it was built largely by people who their whole nation was built on the premise that God brought them out of slavery, gave them a nation, gave them laws to live by. And, and they, as somewhere along the way, either were practicing things wrong, which we understand today we do the same thing in God's name, so easy to do, or they just quit trying whatsoever and just had this idea that it's undoable. And so Jesus explains and, and talks about the problem. In fact, one of the things he hit when he talked to people in his ministry over and over again, he, he hit a simple concept because, you see, people struggled with following the law, the law that God had given Moses, that, that, that when the Israelites were freed from slavery and didn't know how to govern themselves, they only did what they Masters told them to do, and now they had to figure out how to operate as a nation. And so God and Moses meet, and God, Moses brings them laws to, to govern themselves by. And the idea was that these laws would bring God's favor, that if you follow them, God will bless you. And if you disobey them, you'll struggle, and that will go poorly. Well, the, the idea is this, that we don't want to get, um, um, that, that, that the laws that they were given were laws that, that it would bring them national favor and blessing. However, however, Along the way, people have begun to get this idea that, you know, I'm better in God's eyes individually than others because of how I'm doing. And, and here's what it's all about. And they began to try to keep them or not keep them. And there was like 10 commandments that we all, met, we all hear about that Moses gave. But there was like 613 different edicts or laws that people operated from under that law. And so Jesus said, I'm going to just simplify the whole thing for you. I'm just going to simplify it down to two ideas. And these two ideas are all you need to grab a hold. If you get a hold of these two concepts, you got the whole thing figured out. And two is a lot easier than 613. So let's just go with two. And if you get these two, it'll cover the whole gamut. So he said this. He said the entire Hebrew law, the entirety of it all, the law, the, the prophets afterwards, everything that they taught and did, all of it, that, that, that again, it was all about God's blessing on a nation. It was a nation's laws to govern them as, as Jewish people. The entire Hebrew law and all of its commands and its contents could be summarized in two simple ideas. The first one was to love God. Or in other words, to love the Lord with all your being, with all your being. And the second part, which, which is equal to it, equal in importance, he says, was to love others or to love those around you the way that you love yourself. And he said these two ideas, loving God with all of our being, loving those around us the way that we love ourselves, these two ideas encapsulate the entirety of, the, of that law. And, and, and he was trying to make this point over and over. And when he did it, he kept saying they're not separate ideas. They're equal ideas in weight and importance because people had, had divorced the concept that, that maybe if I love God, I don't have to love others. In fact, they could even run to the, the law they could run into the, the, to the, the writings of the, of the Hebrew message and pick out certain passages 
you know, here and there to reinforce the idea that I don't have to love others because I love God. In fact, I can even quote where Psalm says, I hate those who hate you. I despise those who are wrong. And so if I can decide that people around me are wrong, I have the right to disdain or hate them because after all, I love God. And it's okay how I treat people because I'm the good guy. I love the Lord. And so everything else is excusable. In fact, maybe even is I'm doing God's work as we saw last week. And so Jesus is trying to parse away this, this d- divorce because how do you even measure loving God? Like I can tell you all day long I love God. Who, who can question me? I mean, you don't know my heart. You can't judge me. I love God, says me. But loving others, that's a little more quantifiable. Loving others, that's like, you can see how I'm doing in that department, right? So, so this whole thing of loving God is easier to fake it, put on a stained glass masquerade, than loving others. So Jesus says it all comes down to these two big ideas. And in doing so, he taught an important concept throughout his ministry over and over again. And I could take you to a two-hour presentation on this truth alone. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that just for maybe an hour and a half only. I'm not doing that either. I'm just kidding. But he makes a point all the way through, and that is simply this, that vertical love requires horizontal love. That when we claim that me and God are good, I love God, but I don't love those around me, I'm missing the whole boat. I'm missing the point because these are not divorceable concepts. That vertical love that I claim to have that no one can measure or judge requires horizontal love, which is harder. You're like, yeah, but those jerks, come on now. I mean, God's awesome. He could do good things for me, and he has done good things for me, and he's the big man. But others, they're, they're just, you know. God says, no, these concepts work together, and the one requires the other. In fact, I could take you so many spots to teach this, but I'll show you just one very briefly, and I'm going to try not to get stuck on it too long, but you know how I am. So here's one example. Matthew 5.23, Jesus says, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar at the temple, um, so people would come to the temple to offer sacrifices, and, and again, I know it's a lot of, of, of us today, who, depending on where you are in your faith journey, that it's very hard for us to understand the sacrifice system of the old times and animal sacrifices, like what kind of God requires that, a kind of a barbaric to, be, to feel good about himself. It, it, it's, a, it's a stumbling point for some people, not for others, depending on how you are. But it doesn't matter. Jesus is about to do away with the whole system. He's about to end all of it. He's saying it's all about to be in the rearview mirror going forward as my followers. But that's how the religions of the world, plural religions of the world, operate in those days. And that's how Judaism was. And so Jesus is speaking to a crowd that though he's making all things new, he's speaking to a crowd that understood this idea. Bring a sacrifice to the, to the uh, temple, offer it to make some kind of a, a sin offering, an atonement before God to be, be good with the big man. And Jesus is saying, okay, you understand this concept. Let me speak into the world you know as I take you somewhere I'm taking you. He's when you go to the altar and you, you come all the way to the temple, maybe from out of town, it's a long journey, maybe you're there, but you get there, you're not the only one waiting, you're in line, and you finally get to the front, and it's time to offer your sacrifice, and you're finally to the front of the line, you're finally ready. All the work, all the travel, all the prep is paid off. And while you're there, suddenly you remember that someone has something against you. In other words, you suddenly realize that someone out there has a beef with you, which means you've done something wrong. Now, maybe you would say, well, it was both of us. It wasn't just me. The problem with me and that other person is, is both of us. In fact, maybe they started it, right? They started it. Our kids, they started it. So maybe like they started the problem. Or maybe you'd even say they're the majority of the problem. 
I just, but I did, I did my little part wrong. I did a few things I shouldn't have done. I said a few things I shouldn't have said. I, I wasn't perfect either. So they have something against you. And Jesus says, if you're sitting there and all of a sudden that comes to your mind, I know what we, we tend to think. We tend to think, oh, I know what to do. Just say, oh, well, I love God. Who cares about them? Me and God are here to get right. I mean, he's awesome. They're a jerk anyhow. No, no, no. Jesus says, here's what you do. When you realize at that moment that you've come all the way to the temple, got to the front of the line, it's your turn, and boom, oh yeah, something's wrong with me and someone else. He says, do this. He says, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. Go to that person and say, hey, I need to own my part in this. And, and that idea is that you, you say, well, I can't make them reconcile to me. Of course not. Of course we can't make anyone. The point is not to manipulate others. That's, what, that's half our problem in relationships, trying to manipulate others. It's not to go to someone and say, I'm sorry. How about you? Um, or, I'm sorry I did wrong, but you know, you put me through a lot. Or, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, you know, I'm the bigger person here. Or all that kind of passive-aggressive stuff that people do to try and make a point about how good we're being. No, just go and say, listen, I shouldn't have done that. Well, they shouldn't, forget that. That's their problem. I shouldn't have done this. That was wrong, and I'm sorry. And what they do with that is between them and God. That's between them and their God. That's between them and the, the altar moment. But you do, you own what you need to own. You make your part right, and, and, and without manipulation tactics, just do what's right by that person. Make things right on your end. And then come offer your sacrifice. Then come? Get back in line? Take that whole journey again? God, can't I just finish while I'm here and deal with that idiot later? I mean, I mean that person that you love later? I mean, God, I'm already here. Can't I just pinky promise you that I'll fix it later and not worry about it now? He says, no. Because you're going to get this idea that as long as me and God made this moment, that it doesn't matter what I do to somebody else. And I'm saying that that matters in your relationship with God. A vertical love requires horizontal love. Or, and I can make this point over and over, but the simple answer is we can't be wrong toward people and right with God. We can't be wrong toward people and right with God. Now, I know when I say that for some of us with religious angst, we were worried when someone says you're not right with God. We're like, oh no, I'm not right with God. Does that mean that I'm going, you know, I'm going to burn and I'm not going to go to the good place? And we get all these crazy, like God's always like saying the harshest possible thing and it freaks us out. Don't read into this. God's saying, I love you. I give my son for you. Jesus' whole message was salvation for the world. What he's saying is, don't run around and say me and God are cool. Yeah, he loves me and we're best of buds. We're tight. We're bros. Because him and I are good. Even though I'm a jerk to the people, my, my spouse and my family and the people around me. But hey, me and God, we're tight. I said, no, no, no. You want our relationship to be close. You want to feel like that's what it could be. You want to be, get right with people. We can't be wrong towards people and right with God. And we understand this as a concept. So this is a silly example I've used before, but I'll say it again. You know, I'm a dad. Listen, here's a simple, here's a simple way I operate. Don't mistreat my children and expect that we're all good. By the way, I want to say this. When I, I'm making an illustration. That's not a passive-aggressive statement. Everyone, my kids are treated great. I'm not saying anything backdoor at somebody. For Everyone here is amazing, so don't read into what I'm saying. I'm making an illustration that you can relate to as well. There's nothing deeper than that. But let's just be as honest as parents here. I'm a parent too. Don't mistreat my children. Hey, someone mistreats my children, talks, attacks them, verbalizes, treats them poorly, talks bad about them, does something harm them, undercuts them, just treats them poorly in life, and we all have stories. 
When someone does that, don't come and say, hey, Arlen, want to go out and catch dinner together? Go to the game? Hump hell? No, I don't. Right? I, we're, not, we're not good. No matter how many gifts you lavish upon me, and no matter how many praises you sing to my holy name. Are you with me? No matter how many praises you sing to my holy name. We're not cool. And I don't have a holy name, but you know what I'm saying. Because my kids. Now here's the other side of the coin. You love my kids. You look out for them. You help them. You build them up. You care for them. You, you're good to them. You support them. You help them in their needs. You, you're in their corner. I don't need a thing. Hey, I don't need a thing from you, right? I don't need a thing. Not a thing. What can I do for you? We're good because you're good to my kids. I wonder if we understand how God looks at us and we're like, hey, God, are we good? And God's like, I created these people and I gave my son for them and I love them and you're treating them so terrible. I know, but we're good, right? Because I go to church. I drop some cash in the box. You're welcome. Um, and God's like, no, listen. Treat them right. Don't just come sing praises to my holy name and lavish me with the gifts. What are we supposed to do with that? How do we help God? If you think about how we, how we love God anyhow, like I'm going to give God some money so he's not broke this week. And maybe if I'm really good, maybe he'll pay some bills, you know. Or I know what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to like, you know, give God some, the inside scoop. And so he encourages his heart because he's, he's pretty depressed, you know. And, and it's like, that's all fine. That's wonderful. But what we can do for God is what we can do for others. And God says, look, you want to do something for me? Be good to each other. Here's my mom. My mom is probably going to watch this either now or later today because she usually does watch these services, and she's a very much an encourager. Thank you, Mom, um, online. But um, she taught me something years ago. She said something that I understand the older I get. I always understood it here in my head, but now it's in my heart because I have two kids who are married and, um, you know, living away from the, outside of the house now, and I've learned something that my mom always said is true, and that is this. Nothing makes me happier than when my kids get along with each other. Nothing. We, last night we went to, a, we did an escape room. Um, first time we've ever done an escape room. Don't ask how that went. I, I, I only pray they have no video footage of, of that debacle. Um, but we went to an escape room. Let's just say we'd all be dead if it was real life right now. Um, but anyhow, um, we went to an escape room as a family, and then we went to my house afterwards and had to hang out, and we, we've been doing a lot of that stuff, the holidays. And I love getting together. Now, here's the thing. My kids are there getting along with each other. I don't, I don't need a thing. I could, be on the, I could be a fly on the wallpaper. It don't have to be about me. Big boy daddy's got something to say. No, no, no. I can just be in the, just watching everyone get along, and I'm happy. They can treat their mama right. They can love on her, and they can get along with each other. I need nothing. I'm just in the background saying, I love, I love that. When I hear that they get together away from, like I heard that they got together and did something, and I just heard about it, I'm like, awesome. That's all I need. I don't need a thing in this world. I just want to know that they love each other, and they're supporting each other, and they're, and they're spending time together. Now, if they're fighting, if they're at odds with each other, oh, now that hurts me, right? That, that weighs on me. My point is, is this. I wonder where we get that from. And when God sees us down here running around and mistreating each other and being terrible and how we act and saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, hey, God, you happy? I'm good, right? Hey. No. Your vertical love that you're trying to have is, is represented in your horizontal love. So Jesus hit this idea over and over again, and I don't have time to make that five-week series to show that to you every time he, he taught it. But here's what we're going to do. 
the last night before Jesus was crucified, he's going to pivot the whole thing. That was him undoing some bad thinking. Now he's going to pivot towards the future. And he's in that upper room. We mentioned this last week. He's in the upper room with his 12 disciples. In a few hours, he would be arrested and tried. And the next day, he'd be crucified. And he's saying the most important things in John chapter 13 through 16 is a record of, of Jesus' final night before his crucifixion, saying what was most important. And as he's talking to his disciples, he, based, he, he over and over again reinforces a big idea that everything from here on is new. He was making all things new. He had a new leadership model. Not the world's model of get in charge and people do what you want because you're the big boss. No, servant leadership. That a platform is a place to serve more from it like Jesus had modeled as he washed their feet in the upper room that night and said, serving is the greatest. And then on top of that, he said, um, look, I'm making all things new. He said, you know, the, the old covenant, no one kept the old covenant, or old, old covenant and testament, same word. The old covenant, no one kept the old testament, old covenant. No one could. And I'm taking that whole thing and I'm saying, look, I've kept it. I've completed the covenant. I've completed the contract. I'm going to die and seal the deal and, and for those who couldn't keep the covenant. And then it's finished. Or as the book of Hebrews would later say, it's obsolete. It's obsolete. I'm doing something brand new here. And so it's, it's, it's a new leadership model. It's a new paradigm for what it looks like to, to serve me. It's a new paradigm, a, a, a new covenant. In fact, he took the bread and the juice and says, you've been celebrating your nation's independence from, for about 1,500 years from slavery in Egypt. And this is a, a Passover celebration. But from now on, my followers can celebrate something that's not just for a nation of people with their covenant. It's for the whole world, no matter where you're from. If you believe in me, the new covenant is in my blood, which is shed for you. Everything is new. In the middle of all of that talk, he also decided to give them new marching orders. And so at some point in the conversation, he says uh, in John 13, 34, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. And I always imagine that he had pushed back. So I picture, P, you know, hand goes up. Um, who is it, Peter? Yes, Peter, what do you want? Yes, thank you, Jesus. I, I got a question about that. A new commandment. Who, you know, if, I, if it wasn't Peter, anyone else was in the room, they'd be asking you, who do you think you are giving us a new commandment or a new covenant? Because we already have all that from Moses. Who do you think you are? To which Jesus would say, I think I'm God. I'm going to show you on the cross in the empty tomb. But hold on. But okay, I, I know that, Jesus. But a new commandment? Like we already have like 613 billion. I mean, why do we need another one? Um, is, this like, is this like number 614? Like one more to memorize? Or is this something brand new? No, Jesus said, no, this is new. Everything's new. This is what following me is going to look like. This is, this is the walking in the new covenant. This is the new commandment. You got it? Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you. Carry on. Okay, Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Peter, I see your hand again. What do you need, Peter? Okay, question on that. I'm just hearing you talk, and I'm thinking to myself, aren't you missing something? Like, you're loving each other, that seems very horizontal. Where's the love God part? Like, I know that when we've been around you, Jesus, and we've heard you tell all the crowds that the summary of their entire Hebrew message has been two things, love God, love others, and you're trying to tell them that those two ideas are not divorced, that they go together. We've heard you say it. So if you're giving us a new one, shouldn't you kind of start with the God part? No. That's half the people got mixed up, thinking they're loving God while they don't love others. So I'm going to make it real simple. New commandment. New policy. Love each other. Okay? 
I think so, but, but I have I'm, a question still. Like, that seems very horizontal. Like, at least the other part had a, a vertical element. Where's, where's the vertical nature of, of, of this part of your talk, Jesus? He's, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. May I carry on? So now, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. There's your vertical part. That God loves you, and I am here to love you, to show you the heart of God. Here's the vertical part. I am here to show you how much God loves you, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. This is the Christmas story. You are loved. Just as I have loved you, you should now love each other. Now we're going to come back to that phrase, just as I loved you, in just a moment here, so hang on. But as he makes this statement very plainly, he, he then makes something powerful in verse 35. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, not your love for God. Lots of people are running around claiming they loved God, and how can you question that? Because I said, I said so. A lot of folks claim to love God, and it didn't make a difference in this world. Everyone's like, yeah, well, you love God, you say, but you're a jerk, and I don't want, you know, you think you're better than, whatever. He says, no, here's the difference maker. Your love for one another is going to make a message the world will not miss. It's going to say that you're my disciples, that you follow in my steps, because that's what I've come to do. And it's going to be impactful. It's your love for each other, for one another. That's where the power will lie. And so, there's the new commandment. And in doing so, he makes a statement that we said earlier, just as I have loved you. You know that statement right there is, 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 is a couple things. Just as I have loved you is, first of all, a standard. It's a standard. It tells us how we love. Because it's easy to say, oh, I love people. I don't like them very much, but I love them, you know, at a distance. I love people, like, you know, as long as they leave me alone. If, they, if they're good to me, I'm good to them. And Jesus says, love is not some gushy word or some feeling that you say and bubble up, some mamsy-pamsy moment. Love is gritty. Jesus was, was, could have said, if you want to know how gritty love is, wait till tomorrow on the cross. You'll see how, how it's, it's tough as Roman nails and hard as Roman steel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay a price. You just hang in there and watch. But just as I have loved you is a standard. In fact, if you read the Christian writings in, the, in the, New New, the New Covenant, the New Testament, what you'll find throughout them is they all refer back to this command right here. They might, they might reference back for illustration to the, to the Old Covenant, but they all point back to this, this one right here. All the one another's, honor one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, all of it comes here because Jesus is saying this is the standard. So the apostles would say, uh, honor one another the way that Christ has honored you. Serve one another the way that Christ has served you. Be kind to one another the way that Christ has showed kindness to us. Forgive one another the way that Christ has forgiven us. Sacrifice for others the way that Christ has sacrificed. It all comes down to the standard. Love each other. Here's how, just as I have loved you. That's the standard, but also, that's a hard, by the way, that's a hard standard. You can spend your entire life striving for that standard and never, I mean, hit it. We can get to heaven someday and say, whew, I thought I understood what loving people was like, and then it got real. In fact, have you ever been in a spot in your life where you said, Lord, 
I'm trying to love people and do good for others, and they don't appreciate it. It's like they spit in my face, and they walk on my back, and they take it for granted. They ignore it. They don't appreciate it. They turn against me. Do you know what that's like? And he's like, hmm, yes, I do. It's a standard that we can spend our entire life striving to reach and never reach it. But it's our goal. Love each other as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you is a standard. And number two, it is a reminder. This is a big, big concept, folks, and I don't want you to just glaze over it. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that you, God loves you, that you are loved. That, that God's love for you is that real, that's that great. That when you run around and say to God, I try to love that person in my family and they didn't even appreciate it. God's like, God's like, do, do, can you understand how, how I love you no matter what? See, I love, I love my kids, but they don't, you know, they don't, I love my friends, but they don't, but I still love them. God's like, and I still love you. See, a lot of us run around and we, we, we question that God loves us. We think, well, God loves everybody. I know that, I can say that. But then we start doubting it. God's like, I want to remind you, I love you that way. It's a reminder. You see, I want to get this through to us today. I said earlier that the entire Hebrew message Jesus said was summarized in two prongs, love God, love others. But now he's saying in this passage right here, the entire Christian message for all people everywhere, the entire Christian message going forward has got two prongs as well. But they look a little different. The Christian message is simply this. Number one, you are loved. And that's the big concept. In fact, I want to just challenge us to think this through, especially for those of us who have been around the game a while. Think about this. You are loved. When you read the Christian writings, and I want to challenge some of you to do this this upcoming year if you, if you doubt me, because you should check it out. Don't take my word for anything. Um, read the Christian writings this year. And look for this. The, in, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, there's not a lot said about loving God. It's there. In fact, in this very talk that Jesus gave that night, he said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. But even that statement was in the, within the context of the idea that you claim to love me, fine, but here's what that looks like. And elsewhere, when the, in the, the apostles wrote their letters, they wrote things like, all things work together for good to those who love God. But the implication in all passages like that was almost, it was articulated in a way that assumes that, of course, we love God because he loved us first. In fact, we love him because he first loved us. That the idea is that when we finally wrestle down and believe by faith that God loves us, the natural response is loving him back. And that when you have that faith and that belief, that things work out. But the, the, the New Testament doesn't spend a lot of time beating the drum of loving God very often. You know what it talks about over and over and over and over again? In the Christian writings, it says over and over again, you are loved. Believe. Here's the message of the Christian writings. Believe that you are loved. Or let me say it this way. Have faith that you are loved. Have faith in the gospel. Gospel means good news. Believe the gospel message, that good news, that God is love, that God so loved the world that he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be our savior, our ransom, our redeemer, and that he loves you that much that he doesn't want to leave you in the spot that, that, that our, our own messiness that we have created and that we have been born into and we have added to, but that he steps into the mess and says, that's okay, I will pay all the cost. I want you back more than I want you to pay, so I'll pay for you. 
as we look at that message and we see that we're loved, the, God, the Christian message over and over again beats this drum. Believe that God loves you. Believe that God loves you. And that's hard for some of us to believe. Believe that God loves you. Have faith that God loves you. And the rest can flow from there, but it starts there. That's the drive. See, the vertical and horizontal are still there, but the vertical is shifted because the old vertical was love God and love others. Well, I'm loving God, so who cares about others? No, that's how you love God. Let's start over again. Vertical, God loves you. Get your mind around how much God loves you. And soak it up. And then go and do the second part. So the entire Christian message, you are loved. Now go love. You are loved, now go love. And you can go all the way through the writings and you'll see this idea reinforced over and over and over again. Hey, you're loved, now go love. You're loved, now go love. And, and, and here's what, what we struggle. This is where we stumble. We stumble because many of us don't really believe we're that loved. I mean, we sing it in church worship songs. We could sing of his love forever, right? We talk about it. We would tell others, we would look at people in our lives and say to them, hey, God loves you no matter what. You, you, someone came to you and they said, I've made terrible decisions and I'm a hot mess. You'd say, God loves you no matter what, and you would mean it to them. If you're a parent, you would tell your kids, God will always love you no matter what. But how many of us can say those words and we don't believe it for ourselves? We don't believe that we are really that cared for, that we are really that unconditionally, without condition, just loved. And so we live in fear all the time, the fear of God's anger, the fear of all. And, and, and John would later say that God's perfect love is supposed to cast out the fear. But we live in it because we doubt it, because we're insecure or uncertain, because how could anyone love me? I'm a mess. And God says, I love you. And that's the gospel. Listen, folks, you know what we need today? We're going to take communion at the end of the service today. We have the bread and juice up here. We're going to invite you to come and join us. Here's what I want to say before we take the elements, that, that that is a picture of the gospel, which means good news. And what we need more than anything else in the church abroad today is a return to the gospel. We have the regulations and the rules and the rituals and, other, and all the things. We need a return to the gospel that God loves you. He is love. And that is the center of what drives everything we do. And until we can get our minds around how loved we are, we'll always struggle. So today I hope when you take the elements later, you'll be like, thank you for loving me, even when I'm messy. You are loved, now go love. You are loved, now go love. Go, go love means this. Go love other messy things, messy people. So yeah, but that's, that's different. That's hard because I don't agree with those people. I don't agree with their behavior. I don't agree with their lifestyle. I don't agree with their voting patterns. I don't agree with their, with their you know, th that person's competing with me for my job. That person's a, a mean boss. That person's a bad employee. That person's a, 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 a frustrating spouse. That person's a disappointing child. That person's a, 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 an unloving parent. I, I, don't, I don't have, ugh. And you're like, God says, listen, you're loved. Now go love. In fact, here's the, here's the summary before I get to, to one last passage of Scripture. Love is the fuel that drives what we do. That when we, I said earlier, we struggle with this concept that how can I love others when I'm on empty? How can I love others when I'm on empty? It's impossible. But what we often do is we look at people and say, I love you, why don't you love me back? And that's a bad pattern. I learned a long time ago, when I was a single young man in seminary, I learned a long time ago, if I get into serving my Lord because I love people and that's what it's all about, I'm gonna get disappointed and burn out along the way because people let you down. People, people forget. People take things for granted. People get sideways. Things happen. Misunderstandings happen. Ordinary, ordinary things happen. And that will leave me burned out and empty. But if I can operate from a place that God loves me 
And out of his love for me, I love because he first loved me. If that's the driving force, that will never let me down. And then I'm okay in every relationship of my life and everything I do. So love is the thing that fuels you up, but it's from God. And if we can just rest in the gospel, I mean truly, like take the gospel, believe it, and rest in it, we'll be better off. Here's, here's, here's the silliest little thought, but it's so complex. The reason so many Christians are so terrible at how we treat the world around us is because we're a bunch of angry people trying to climb our way up God's favor. God's upset, and maybe I can win God's uh, approval, win God's blessings, and it's like, I gotta get the ladder higher, and I think, Lord, I'm not like other people are, and, and they're you're pulling me down, they're gonna, they're, they're, you know, we just get so, eh, because we're, and we're not kind because we're just trying to, we live in a hostile religion, which is not what Jesus gave us. It's what religion always gives us, but not what Jesus gave us. He gave us something better, a new idea, that God has always been love, and we just can't see it because we're always operating from a bad foundation. And so we figure out that God loves us. Now we can love people. Now we can love the difficult people. Now we can love the messy things because God loves our messes. But love is the fuel that drives what we do. And so I'll close with a passage of a few verses from 1 John 4. And I want to encourage you for homework this week to go home and read 1 John 4 in its entirety. Here's a little homework assignment. Seriously, go home and read 1 John 4 because it's a great chapter. He says a lot of stuff like, he mentions how that God's perfect love will cast out all the fear that torments us. He mentions how that we love because he first loved us and if we, he loved us, we ought to do the same. I can't read the whole chapter for sake of time, but here's a few verses. Read the rest this week. 1 John 4, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And again, we can read that verse and see the harshness. I don't know God. Am I, am I, am I in the hot water again? Am I going to miss the good place? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, you claim that you get God. I, get, I know what God's all about. I know God. I understand God. I get God's heart. But you don't love. You don't understand God. You don't get God. You don't know what he's about. You're loved by him, but you're missing it because he is love. And this is John who walked for, for years next to Jesus, who leaned on Jesus' chest in the upper room that night that he was betrayed, who, who was as close as anyone was to the Savior and said, after seeing Jesus all those years, I'm convinced of one thing, that God is love personified. Not that God has love or God is loving. No, God is love. And if we don't get that and we don't love others because of it, we're missing it. We don't get God. We don't know God. He continues. He says, God showed us how much he loved us. How? By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. That's the Christmas story, folks. That's the thing we're celebrating this week, that he was born to be our Savior to walk in our shoes and show us the gospel, to show us how much God loves us and wants us back in relationship with him. And he paid the price to it, make it possible. Here it comes. Are you ready? This is, the, this is a good verse. He says next, this is real love. Whew, here it comes. This is real love. In other words, you want to know what real love is? You want to know the point of it all? Here it is. Are you ready? This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. 
and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, that's what we celebrate. That's the gospel. It's not a gospel of works. We don't come and say, I just want everyone to know how much I love God. I'm better. I love him more than you do. We're not like trying to play a competition game, you know, like Penelope from SNL. I love God. I love him more, you know, so I love him more than you do. We're not playing this game where I'm the best lover of God. We're not the people running around acting like somehow I'm on the inside and I'm higher up the ladder. We don't sing songs about, aren't I wonderful? We come to church every week and we humbly glorify God who is the lover. He's the one. He's the hero. He's the one who gave everything to come into my mess and your mess and be our Savior. Here's real love. Not that we love God. That's not what we celebrate. That's not what we worship. That's not our gospel. The gospel is that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And then he says, dear friends, he's going to pivot from you are loved, now go love. He says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And then in the last verse I'll read, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. That's powerful. He's saying, you want the world to see God? It's Christmas time. You want the world to get the message of God, what it's all about, the reason for the season. It's not because you're throwing a fit on social media about, you know, someone's, uh, you know, holiday cup colors or, you know, how they, using the word Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or whatever else people get upset about. Or you're, you know, that's the problem. People are, you know, taking America to hell in a handbasket, whatever that means, you know. Or all the things that we're angry about and our idiot relatives. And Uncle Joe's coming over this Christmas and I can't stand them. And he's a, and every, and this spouse, what's wrong with you? And you don't respect me, family. And all the junk that we just carry with us, that's not showing the Christmas message. Here it is. When we stay in the gospel, the amazing grace of God's love, and we rest in it. And from that spot, we turn around and we love people who are also messy like we are and are challenging to us like we could be to God, but, but he loves us. When we love, <clears throat> that God says, man, I'm, I'm come, I come to life in that scene. And my love, God says, John says his love is brought to full expression in us. This Christmas, <clears throat> express God's love by how you love others. That means this week, when I mentioned Uncle Joe, if someone has an Uncle Joe here, I'm not picking on him. I'm sure he's a great guy. I just had to have to pick a name. If Uncle Joe comes over and you're like, oh, I hate Christmas because Uncle Joe comes over. Well, you know what? I hope you're not looking to Uncle Joe for your peace or your love. I hope you're looking to God for that. And I hope that you can bring those things, your peace, God's peace, and love to Instead of expecting from. Well, I'll try a filter. No, 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 no. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a manipulation game. I'll do this so you'll do that. No, no, no. I operate because God loves me and God's given me peace. And from there, I will let his love be expressed fully in me. And that's the point of it all. And if we can figure that out, I think the church could be a real beacon of some good news, which is what we had in the first place. And it worked pretty well until we got all sideways with all of our other junk. But let's believe the gospel and let's love the way that Christ loves us.